Principles of Faith presents a teaching series by Matthew Gray called One Focus. Good morning. It's good to be in church today. Amen. I wasn't sure I would be up here today. I've been dealing with, um, <coughs> excuse me, and I apologize if my voice gets a little scratchy today, but I've been dealing with some. Um, some uh, coughing and some sore throat uh, all of this week, actually, and I thought about uh, Friday and yesterday maybe asking Pastor Scott if I could, uh, you know, take this week off maybe and and come back again next week, Um, but the Lord encouraged me to come out as a step of faith, and as I started reading over my notes again, I kept getting more and more excited, and I was like, I can't It'd be too much of a disappointment not to not to get up here and share today, because it's it's too exciting what God has to tell us. So um, I'll probably keep it a little bit shorter this week, um, and you're all going, he's not going to go as long as he has been going. But I'll probably keep it short this week, because I think what we have left, we're almost to the end, but I think what we have left will still take two. So I'll just cut it cut it a little bit on the on the shorter side today, and and just go over a few things. Um, but, I'm, but I am excited about being up here and, and sharing what God has put on my heart. And I, I really loved how those four songs came together for praise and worship because um, even though I pick out the music, it doesn't, um, most weeks, it doesn't necessarily come about that I link all four together, but the Holy Spirit does. And so those two, um, we'd picked those two songs previously for the end, and then I picked two more for the beginning. And I liked the message that when you put it all together, what it comes to is the first song is, This is Heaven on Earth. Where God is, where God's presence is, is heaven on earth, and that's what we want to live in. So are we, are we worthy of living it? Are we righteous enough to take part in God's kingdom and in, in his heaven on earth? Well, the second song says, I am who you say I am. So I'm righteous enough because God says I'm righteous, and when I receive that, I can live in his heaven on earth and under his authority. And so then our response is, Jesus, I come to that presence, I come to your kingdom, I come to you. And what do we say when we come to his presence? We say, holy, holy, holy. We give reference and honor. So I love how those four songs came together and go along with, with what, we're, what we're sharing today. And so if you've been with us the last, um, well, not the last two weeks, the last two times that I've been speaking, we've been talking about seeking the kingdom of God and having that one focus on the kingdom of God, putting everything else aside and not even prioritizing God, but putting God as the only thing that we're seeking and the only thing that we're going after. And so we've talked about that first we have to value his kingdom. We have to see it as important in our lives in order to give our time, our resources, and our focus over to it. And then we looked at what God's kingdom is. And we saw that God's kingdom is where his authority is recognized, where people follow his law. And we talked about that God's kingdom, we can relate it to countries here on earth but his kingdom is different and that it's not coercive and that you have to choose to live in that kingdom and you have to choose to make Jesus your Lord and to follow what he tells you to do. And we talked about the differentiation between having Jesus as just your savior, just forgiving you of your sins, which is important, but then also making him your Lord and making him the ultimate authority in your life. So where we left off last time was talking about that how do we practically seek the kingdom of God in our everyday lives? And we, we started on that you've got to know God. You've got to know who he is in order to know what his kingdom is. If you didn't know who God was, how would you know what his authority looks like? How would you know what his um, guidelines are? How would you know how he wants you to live your life? So we've got to know God, and that comes with spending time with him. 
and we talked about the importance of spending time with him and that it's very valuable. Um, so then the obvious question, and this is where we left off last time, is how do we make time for the Lord in our lives? Because a lot of us would say, but you know, I don't have that much time. I'm already doing all these different things. Maybe I've <coughs> excuse me, have commitments in my family, in my work, um, in my community, in my relationships with people. I don't have a lot of time to go around. And so what I would say to that is we all have the same amount of time. Um, a great story to, to think of this um, to think of this would be if I took my Bible and you know went to Miss Merle because she's agreed to be my wonderful examples throughout this series. She did so well the first time I figure why not. But I went to Miss Merle and I said, Miss Merle, I don't know, you know, this Bible has page numbers on it, right? But there's some pages that aren't numbered, like the maps in the back. There's some at the beginning that have like letters instead of numbers. I, I really want to know how many pages are in this Bible, okay? So I want someone to check and confirm, and you know, there's over, you know, a thousand some pages, over 1,300 pages. Could you count these and confirm that there's how many pages, you know, the certain number of pages are in this Bible? And now already she's looking down and disappointed because that might take a while, right? And I'm sure you probably have more important things to do than count 1,400 pages in a book, right? Especially for something that's just for my trivial knowledge of knowing how much is in that, right? Right? Miss Merle? So she would probably say no if I just asked her outright to, you know. That doesn't mean she doesn't love me. She would say she loves me, right? She would say she cares about me. Um, we're best friends. So of course she says she loves me. But I don't have time to count your book pages, okay? But... Ms. Merle, if I throw in $5, will you count the page of the book? The answer is probably going to be the same. I've added maybe a little bit of value, but there's more important things for her to be doing, right, than just counting the pages of this book, okay? What if I say I'll pay you $5 million? (laughs) That quickly it changed, right? Now, did, did the task change at all? It's the same thing, right? Counting the page of the Bible. One minute I'm asking her, and she's like, oh, disappointed, glum, you know, frown on her face, not wanting to do it, you know, not worth my time. The next minute she says, give me that book with a smile on her face and no hesitation. What, what changed? What's the difference? The value changed, right? Because for one minute it was nothing or $5, which is about the same. And then the next minute, it's $5 million, and what she can do with that, she can do a lot of good things with that money, right? And that goes to show that her time allotted to her didn't change, right? I didn't add another 24 hours to her life, right? She has the same amount of time, yet in the first instance, she would say, I don't have time. In the second instance, she would say, I have all the time in the world. No other commitments changed. Her time didn't change. So we mistakenly think that our time is what's crammed. Our time is what's um, unplentiful. We don't have enough time, right? But it's really what you value, right? I thought of this um, a couple of weeks ago. Someone asked me to mow their lawn. And you know, I had a lot of things going on. I had um, a certain priorities I had to get done. I had deadlines. And I said, I'm sorry, I, you know, I don't have time this week to to do that, this weekend. And then a few weekends later, someone asked me to drive all over North Carolina and South Carolina to do um, 
a sort of manual task or something like that. And I was very willing to give up my whole Saturday and half of my Friday to do that because the values were different. What was being offered me in return was of different values. And my time didn't change. And those two instances, you know, along with, with this example, shows us it isn't our time that is scrunched. It isn't our time that we don't have enough of. It's what we value and what we use our time for. So we allocate our time based on what we see as important. So that brings us back to spending time with God. If we don't have the time to pray and to spend time with him, if we don't have time to read the Bible, it's not because we don't have the time. Everybody has 24 hours in a day, seven days in a week. The difference is, is our values for it. And you may say, well, I have important things you know, that I'm doing. Well, first of all, we established at the beginning of this series that this is the most important thing you can be doing. If you recognize Jesus as your Lord, there can be nothing else above this. So this has to be the most valuable thing in our life. And I can point out other things like, you know, okay, sometimes it's hard for us to find time to spend, spend time in the Word, but we'll find 15 minutes, half an hour, an hour just to scroll through social media throughout the day. We'll spend an hour maybe reading a magazine or something like that or watching a TV show. But yet we say, oh, I don't really have that much time for, for the Bible or for spending time with God. And that's just, I'm not condemning you. I don't want to get into legalism or condemn you that you're not spending enough time with the Lord. But the, the question we need to ask ourselves is, where are we placing this in our value system? Where are we placing God in our time? Are we giving him the time that his importance would mean? And it's a good measuring stick for seeing how important he actually is. Because like with Miss Merle, you know, she would say she loves me, right? You know, if I'm, you know, offer, if I'm offering the $5 for counting the pages in the Bible, she would say she loves me. But the value is based maybe on, the value is shown when we actually use our time. So you may say, I, I love the Lord, he's the number one priority, but if he's number 17 on your time priority list, that really shows you where, where he's at in your, in your actual values. I, I heard a story of, um, and this kind of goes to the money side and to tithing, but there was this nun who would work with a lot of big organizations in their charitable giving. And she says, when I go into these organizations, you know, they want to show me their mission statement. They want to show me their, their goals and, and show me what they say is important to them. She says, I don't pay attention to any of that. I go to their, give, show me your balance sheet. Show me your income statement. And from what you, where you spend your money, I'll show you what's important to you. So they may say you know, charitable giving is important, but if it's 2% of you know, their income, then it's not really that important, right? Well, it's the same thing with our time. If we say God's important to us and we're spending maybe five to ten minutes a week or we're, you know, skipping devotionals because we want to sleep in another 30 minutes or something like that, then that's really giving us an actual measuring stick or an actual glimpse of how important it actually is to us. And again, this isn't to condemn any of us. There's lots of times that I, you know, fall short in this area. Twice this week I missed you know, my daily devotions because of things that were going on. And it just shows us that um, it gives us a good glimpse into what is actually important in our lives. So there's a lot of easy ways to start. This is a practical way that we can, we can start valuing God and valuing his kingdom is spending time with him. So that can be, you know, praying, you know, all alone in your room. That can be reading the word. That can be listening to a message. Um, Mrs. Otis talked about listening to the Bible on the way home from a from a trip. Um, there's lots of different ways that we can do it, especially with 
um, how advanced technology is now. You can listen to podcasts in your car, you can listen to the Bible being read, or you can just spend the time um, you know, praying and talking with God. But ultimately, this is about trust. And so where I want to go is Matthew chapter 6, where our text verse is for this entire series in verse 33. But we're going to go to Matthew chapter 6 and verse, we're going to start at verse 25. Because ultimately, if we're not putting our time and investing it and spending it with the Lord, we're investing it in other things because we see those as important. We see our job as important because it provides for us. We see our family as important because we have to provide for them and, and support them. And we see our community as important. And a lot of these things that get in the way of spending time with God, it's because we think that we have to do things in order for those things to work well, in order for those things to survive. And we talked a little bit about that in um, the first two parts too, talking about we can't see ourselves as the source. So let's look at Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 25. It says, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat, what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body, what ye shall put on, is not life more than meat, and the body more than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are ye not much more than they? And he goes on and, and talks about not worrying, but I'm going to skip down to um, verse 31. He says, Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink? Or how shall we be clothed? <coughs> for after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that ye have need of these things. And then this is where verse 33 comes in. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. So what it comes down to, spending time with God, getting to know him, is putting that trust in him that if we invest the time in him, that we aren't going to be wanting for these things. We aren't going to be lacking these things and in these areas. Your job will still go on, and um, you can still be successful in it, even if you're um, committing time out of your day to be with the Lord. Your family will still run if you take 15 minutes out of your morning to spend time with God. Your children will still live, even if you take 10 minutes out, you know, of your day, and this can you can do come up with all sorts of creative ways of doing this. You can get up early. You can stay up late. You can do it while they're in the shower. You can. Um, this doesn't mean you never. You know, you sit in your prayer closet twenty four hours a day, seven days a week. That's not what God wants us to do. But the point is, we need to put a priority on on um, actually seeing God as the most important thing of our life and building our time from Him out instead of filling up our lives with commitments to other things and then trying to fit in God later on, start with taking time for God and then fill your life in accordingly. So that's what this is all about. It's about trust, trusting God that he's going to take care of us if we invest that time in him. And God really does care for, care for your family. I talked about that um, family can't be up there with, with God as a priority, but God does care about your family. We, we can think of God taking care of, or Jesus taking care of his mother at the cross when he's about to you know, pass on um, on the cross. He tells the disciple John to take care of his mother. We can think of Paul's instructions in Ephesians uh, 5 and 6. He talks about what a godly family looks like for both parents and children and in a marriage. And so we know that God cares for our family. But to seek his kingdom, 
we can't put their needs and we can't put us providing for them above that. And to, to look at that further, to know that's not just mattyology and it's not just me saying what I think, let's look at uh, Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. And he's speaking here to some crowds that are following him. And I think it's really interesting what he has to say here. So Luke chapter 14, we'll start in verse 26. And he's talking about the cost of discipleship here. And I would agree that discipleship here would be seeking his kingdom, seeking his rule and his authority in our lives. So verse 26, he says, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower sits not down first and counteth the cost, whether he have to finish it? And so I've heard a lot of people teach about this, about um, he didn't really mean hate his father and mother. You, can't, you don't have to hate your family. And I, and I agree, he's not saying you hate people because this wouldn't be consistent with the rest of Scripture where he says, love your enemies. You know, anybody, even sinners, can love you know, people who love them. But you, you know, I instruct you to love everyone, love your enemies as well. So this wouldn't be consistent if, if he was turning around saying, you know, you need to hate your own family. What he's saying is you need to despise your family and your life in comparison to him and his kingdom. To despise means to esteem not. That means not to give it more importance or equally importance as his kingdom and his instructions. And so, and he goes on in verse 27, it says, if you don't bear your cross and come after, we, uh, come after me, you can't be my disciple. And there's other places in the New Testament where he talks about you have to, you know, let go of your life to gain it. You have to take up your cross and follow him. And so what we have to see here is we can't esteem other things of equal importance as the kingdom of God. And he says in verse 28, for if you're gonna, you know, if you're gonna sit down and build a building, who does that without first, you know, counting out the money and saying, okay, do I have enough money to actually finish it? Nobody starts, then halfway through realizes, oh gosh, you know, I, I don't have enough because I didn't take the time to, to plan it out at the beginning. He says, no, if you're going to build something, you plan it out first to see if it's something that's actually doable. Well, for the same thing, if we're going to be disciples, if we're going to seek his kingdom, we got to first sit down and say, okay, you know, it, it might cost me. It might cost me um, my family. It could, it could cost me all these different areas. And I said, you know, God can... Can, you know, your job can still go on without you. Maybe God calls you to do something where you have to leave that job. That doesn't mean that he's not going to provide for you, but there are things we have to be willing to give up for the kingdom of God. That doesn't mean it's going to happen every time or it's going to, that's not a blanket statement that every time you give up everything to follow God, but there's sometimes he may require you to give up something to follow him. And that doesn't mean he's not going to provide for you. It doesn't mean he's not going to take care of you or your family or people around you. In fact, usually it means that he's going to provide it for you better, even if it doesn't look like it right away. But the point here is that to seek his kingdom, he has to be the first priority in our time and in our resources and in everything that we do. So now that we know how we can make time for him and now that we know why it's important, let's look at what spending time with God results in. What's, what's the impact? What's the end result? And ultimately, we'll never regret time that we spend with God. I don't know anybody who's ever taken time, <coughs> excuse me, taken time out of their day on a, on a regular basis and said, you know what, it wasn't worth it. 
I was disappointed. There were so many things that went wrong, so many things that didn't go well, and I, if I'd given the choice, I wouldn't do it again. I've never met anybody who said that. So that's just a little bit of comfort. You'll never regret it. And you will actually grow a desire to spend time with him. So for that, let's look over in Hebrews, Hebrews 11. <coughs> and this is something that's familiar to a lot of us because we refer to this chapter as the Hall of Fame of Faith. It talks about great examples of people, <coughs> specifically in the Old Testament, had faith and pleased God. And these are some of the best examples that we know of. So Hebrews 11, we're going to start in verse 13. And I was just reading this passage this morning, and I keep getting excited reading it. Um, and I think you'll see why when we start. So Hebrews 11, chapter 11, verse 13. And he's just gone through... <coughs> A lot of the examples he's talked about, Abel, Abraham, um, and a few others. And he says in verse 13, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And I love that verse because what does that sound like? They that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. I think this is referring to the kingdom of God, and I think this, this will be more apparent as we keep reading. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out of, they might have had opportunity to have returned. So I think what we're seeing is the comparison between the two kingdoms here. They're looking, because of what they're saying, because of the faith that they're saying, and you, know, you can think of Abraham saying, I'm the father of a multitude when he didn't have any kids. He's saying, I'm seeking the kingdom because God's given me this promise and he's told me to do this. He told me to leave home and that I'll have a, have a child of my own which will become a nation. He was seeking God's kingdom with one focus. So even though he wasn't in that country, he couldn't see it with his physical eyes. He was seeking the kingdom of God. And the country he came out of was a country of unbelief, a country of barrenness. And so what, it's, what Paul is saying here is that if they had been mindful, if they had esteemed, if they had made that old country of value, they would have been tempted to go back. They would have been tempted to return to the kingdom that wasn't God's kingdom, the kingdom that could have been their own kingdom or the world's kingdom. But as it says in verse 14, they declared things plainly that showed that they were seeking a different kind of kingdom, a different kind of country. And then in verse 16, it says, but now they desire a better country. You can think of this as a better kingdom, the kingdom of God, that is a heavenly. So we know he's talking about a heavenly kingdom. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. So I love these group of verses right here because it shows us of people who set aside the old kingdom, who didn't esteem the other things as important as seeking God's kingdom and seeking God's country. So I want to look at one example um, of these great people, one of these example, an example of one of these people who is seeking the country that we don't talk about a lot. So let's stay in Hebrews 11 and go up to verse 5. And it says there that by faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God translated him. Before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Okay, let's stop for a minute. What do we know about Enoch? He was translated. Okay, why was he translated? He pleased God. Why did he please God? Hmm? 
he follow what God said? Do we know any specific instances of what he did to follow what God said? We don't, we don't know a lot about Enoch, okay? But we do know one thing. So let's go back to Genesis. Let's go to Genesis 5. Um, you don't have to turn there if you don't want to. I wasn't planning on actually going to this, but I think this shows that we actually need to see it. So Genesis 5, you're, you're, you're getting close. Genesis 5, we're going to look at verse 22 and 24. And we need to remember, this is the only thing we know about Enoch. We don't know much about him. There's only a few things we know. We know that he pleased God, but we're going to look at why he pleased God. He was Noah's grandfather, but does, does necessarily genealogy make sure you, you, you know, you, okay, hold on, we're going to get there. Verse 22 in Genesis 5 says, And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah 300 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were 360 and five years. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. That's all we know about Enoch, okay? But there's one thing it tells us that he did, other than having children, which, you know, it says a lot of people had children. So that doesn't necessarily mean it as much. But it says it, and it says it twice. Enoch, Enoch walked with God. And that's the only thing he did that we can know of that God's telling us that he did and God said he was pleased with Enoch. So, you know, God, there's a, obviously, I, Aunt Enoch could have done a lot of things. He lived, um, what is it, 365 years? He lived a long time. So he could obviously did a lot. You know, people have lived a lot shorter lives and done many things, and yet the only thing that God thought was important enough for us to know about Enoch was that he walked with God. Now, we don't know necessarily what specifically walking with God means, but I think we can reasonably assume that walking with God means he spent time with God, right? You know, you can't walk with someone and not spend time with them. It doesn't make much sense to, you know, if you're walking with someone, you're obviously there with them, and hopefully conversing and, you know, spending time with them. So the only thing we know that Enoch did was he walked with God. And that pleased God, and it pleased him so much he didn't want Enoch to die and see death. And so I would say if, if that's what pleased God, then that should be important enough for us to take note here and us to say, hey, if Enoch walked with God, Enoch spent time with him, and that pleased God, then that's maybe, maybe that's something I want to do. Maybe that's something that's important to God if it pleased him. So if we go back to Hebrews 11, back to verse 5, when it said, it's by, Enoch, by faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Now it doesn't say, but we can know he pleased God because he, he walked with him. He spent time with him. Then verse 6, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, that he's a rewarder of them, that diligently seek him. And I think it's so great that this verse immediately follows Enoch's testimony because we know Enoch walked with God and spent time with him by faith. And that's the only way that we can spend time with God is if we're trusting him and we have faith that spending time with him is worth it, is important enough to take away from other things. And so we know that if we spend time with God and walk with God, then God will be pleased with us. And I think that's just such a good example because we don't know much about Enoch, but the one thing we do know is the thing that he did, which is so easy. You know, it, it's, it's, well, I shouldn't say easy. It's simple. It's simple. 
It's something that we can all do and please God through doing that. So, the other thing that another thing that we'll get from from spending time with God is we'll gain experience of who he is. I'm sure Enoch not only knew about God, but he experienced God. You don't walk with someone without experiencing the type of person they are. So I'm sure he experienced who God is, and that's important for us um, if we're wanting to find out what God's kingdom is like and who he is. And so I'm going to stop there for today. We still have um, a little bit further to go. Um, I'm hopefully going to wrap this up next week, but we're going to talk about a little bit more about what seeking God results in and the ultimate purpose of this. Why, what's, what's the secret of seeking the kingdom and how do, we, how do we actually choose to do that? So hopefully through, through this series, we're learning that um, we need to accept Jesus, not just as our Savior, but as our Lord. And we need to seek his kingdom with that one focus. And that comes through seeing that and recognizing that God's kingdom is valuable, what his kingdom is, and that we need to spend time with him in order to, to recognize what that kingdom is in order to start walking with it. So I'm going to close in prayer. And, and what I want this prayer to be is, is a, you know, a commitment for us to, to seek the Lord and to have that one focus on him and have that one focus on his kingdom. So Father, we come to you today in, in reverence. We come to you today honoring you. Lord, we want not just to say that you're important. We don't want to just say that we value you and we value your kingdom. We want it to be evident without saying a word. We want other people to look at us and to <coughs> and to say that person values God and values his kingdom. Not because of not because any words we speak, not because of anything we write, but because of what we do and how we spend our time, how we spend our money, how we spend our focus. We want that to be reflecting of you. So Lord, we want to commit today to seeking your kingdom. We want to make you the Lord of our lives, and we want to come to you and say, Lord, Lord, and then not just say, Lord, Lord, but then do what you tell us to do, because that's the ultimate test of whether or not you are the Lord in our life. So we praise you, Lord, for giving us the opportunity. We praise you for giving us the strength to follow through. We praise you for the spirit that you've given us to direct us and to know what you would have us to do and to make known your will to us. And we pray these things in your son's name. Thank you for joining us today. This message is brought to you by Hope Church. If you would like more information about Hope Church or to listen to more, please go to www hopechurchnc.org That's www.hopechurchnc.org